I'm Gab. He's Jules. Blue skies over West. Actually, no, it's, it's raining. Badly. Cold. Really, I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Jules, what a show we have. We'll be talking FA Cup. Incredible yeah. bounce back from Chelsea. Bayer Leverkusen impressing again. Uh, tons to get into, but. I think there's one place to start because I think the center of the footballing universe this weekend, or this week anyway, yeah. midweek, is Ivory Coast, the Africa Cup of Nations. We've talked before about what a tremendous tournament it is. We have the semifinals. No spoilers. Ivory Coast are through. Um, they, beat, uh, they beat the Democratic Republic of Congo. That's right. Uh, but we got to start with the other one. Nigeria against South Africa because we've got Colin Udo with us. I... <laughs> Colin, I think it's fair to say a lot of people didn't have Nigeria as the top two or three favorites in this tournament. And then it seemed like belief just grew. And then you they, you play South Africa. I thought we weren't expected to be that far, nope. to go that far at all. Um, and I thought you wiped the floor with them, took the lead. Everything's easy. And then everything changes. They equalize. And they make you sweat all the way to the penalties. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, really? Oh my goodness, swelling a lot. But but here's the thing. So I have Nigeria getting all the way to the final when I did my ESPN FC bracket, and I have my my friend being well Ed of laughing at me when I did that. But now, hey, who's in the final? It's Nigeria. <laughs> now, but before the tournament, when um, I think just before the tournament, Nigeria had a, a thing where they launched this "Let's Do It Again" campaign, saying that they were going to win a fourth. I'm going to confess, I was in Nigeria at the time when that um, uh, mantra was launched uh, by the Minister of Sports. And trust me, at the time, I did not believe it, mainly because of the way the team had been performing in the build-up to the tournament, the friendly games, the qualifying matches where they drew against Suchu and um, Zimbabwe. So, I mean, forgive me if I didn't believe But as soon as they got to the tournament, I, I've always said this, when it comes to AFCON, Nigeria are a tournament team. They're the only team that have made it all the way to 16. Now, I'm counting this one. Out of 19 times they've been at the um, AFCON, no other team has that number. And so once they got there, I thought, well, this is it. And then, of course, we'll see how it is. And um, South Africa, everybody keeps saying, oh, it's such a big rivalry in Nigeria. It is not a rivalry. You can't be a, <laughs> a proper rival if you only win one game in 73 years. I mean... Who even calls like a rivalry? But yeah, you're right, mate. Uh, we took the lead, looked like we were coasting. Uh, unfortunately, some fun. I mean, the credit to them, they played with bravery, they played with panache, uh, uh, they came back, it was 1 1. But the mistake they made was in thinking that just because they had goalkeeper stopped four penalty kicks against Cape Verde, they would do the same thing against Nigeria. Nigeria is not Cape Verde. And the moment <laughs> the game got to penalty, I, 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 yeah, I tweeted, I said, look, now Nigeria will win those penalty kicks. <laughs> well, I treated it just as soon as the game got to um, a penalty kicks, and that's exactly what happened. Because we want confident we man, goalkeeper. We had better players. What? What? Do you, how do you feel about the final? Because Ivory Coast haven't been great at all, but it looked like everything clicked against Congo. It was maybe the best performance of the tournament for them, and obviously they will be at home in that incredible atmosphere. Would you still have Nigeria favorite? You can't final? kill a ghost, Colin. You cannot kill a ghost. They're already dead. Exactly. They're already dead. So what? I mean, how much dead can they get? You know. <laughs> but yes, I mean, it's an incredible story for Cote d'Ivoire. We're the same group with Nigeria. They lost. They lost two games. And uh, the fact, like, I can't remember any team that loses two games in a tournament. And still make it all the way yeah. to the final. But could it did? And that's a remarkable story. I it was remarkable. It's incredible. I mean, when they lost those games and it looked like they were going out, we had fans out on the streets rampaging, destroying things. Even the team, uh, the, the team boss, they fired their coach. They were looking for a new coach. They were even trying to get uh, a very now unknown from the um, French U.S. national team. And the FFM said, nope, we're not giving him to you. And so they got an interim coach. And all of a sudden, I mean, they're back. Um, they're back. Get they get into the team from the back door as best place. Uh, uh, one of the best players finisher. They get a new momentum riding this way, and they've taken that all the way to the final. And I did call DRC to get to the semifinal, but I thought that um, it would be I like them or Mali getting to the final. So I think a bit of um, something to, to be proud about uh, in that case. I just did not see. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire to the final, but having got there, 
and riding the momentum of this um, second life, so to speak, and also having the fans behind it, it's going to be a tough, tough game. But I do think that Nigeria might edge it. At the start, we talked a lot about the attacking power, of course, that they have when you have Oziman and, and Lukman and Mofi, and even if Boniface is injured and not there, the talent that they have going forward was always incredible. However, they are in the final because they've been the best defensively. Where, are you surprised or were you surprised by how good they've been defensively through this tournament? They've only considered two goals. They've had four clean sheets in a row at some point as well. Or did you know they were that good defensively too? Uh, no. On, on that one, I hold my hands up. I did not expect that. I mean, if you look at the captain, William Trust Ekong, who has been the main eye yeah. of the defense, he hasn't played for Nigeria since November of 2022. And when I spoke to him, I think it was last week on an ESPN interview, he told me that at some point last year, just I think around November-ish, he was actually considering retiring from international football because of the snob he was getting from some selectors. But he said he thought about it, he considered it, and then he spoke to the coach and was like, you know what, I wasn't sure I was going to come to the Ascot, but then I spoke to the coach and here I am. And he's been the linchpin yeah. of that defense. But here's the thing, Nigeria has played different combinations of centre-backs. And I mean, it's always been shaky at the back. It's the front line that has uh, carried the team more or less and the shoulder. But Joseph Pesero has sort of, I think he's figured it out. Nigeria historically, and, and you'll know this guy, you'll know it also. Historically, Nigeria have been built on attacking, uh, even if we don't have the attackers. But you hear people in Nigeria talking about, oh, our uh, wing play, the swashbuckling attack, action was attack, attack, attack. But I think when Pesero has kind of found the right formula in the sense that, you build from the back, and that's what he's done. Instead of playing our irregular show at the back and advancing with um, with um, attacking, he's kind of made it three centre-backs, you know, four midfielders, two of whom are wing-backs, and then three forwards. And the, the, the idea being that we're not going to score many goals, but we're going to make ourselves hard to beat. And when you go to a tournament like this, uh, the harder you are to score against, the yeah. easier it is for you to, to win. And when you have strikers who can take opportunities, even if they're only one in ten, then it makes things a lot easier. And so um while Nigeria hasn't scored so many goals, Victor Osiman has been a phenomenal player. The intensity that he brings to the front line, the high press that he brings, the way he gets the fellas petrified out of that boots is what opened opportunities with the likes of um, Moses Simon and Devlin Lukman. So in that sense, yes, I was a bit surprised that defense have been so good this tournament. I, and I think that I was hoping that at some point it would come good for Osimhen. He might get a couple of goals, but when the final, hey, who knows? Maybe this, that's what happens for him or the other strikers. I mean, hey. I know how much you love Osimhen, but just before you go on Osimhen, imagine, imagine the let's let's call it a year between the Napoli title after all that weight, the African Player of the Year trophy that he won. If he was to lead Nigeria to winning Afcon for the first time in ten years. I mean, Oziman would be like, can you just imagine? Yeah, and then he can move to Paris Saint-Germain. Hey! <laughs> Great idea. Oh, God, I would like to see him in Manchester United. But anyway, we'll see. Oh, no, no wait. Way. That is the one thing I just said. I don't want to see him anywhere in Manchester United. They leave One thing that I, uh, uh, like, I, I, being Italian, I, I, I was in, I was in, I've been uh, sort of, I've had a soft spot, as we know, for the Super Eagles yeah, for, you've for a long, them. long yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. ever since poor Gianfranco Zola we love you too, unfairly guys. sent off against them in 1994. But there's a lot, I like to think there's a lot of Italian in this team. It's not just Osimhen. It's not just uh, Ademola Lukman, whose career, whose career is really taking yeah, off yeah. Uh, at Atalanta, turned it around. He's been phenomenal this season. It's not just Ola Aina, who, no, of course, so. spent a bunch of years. It's Calvin Bassey, too. I don't fully know his story because I assume, because the guy, when he talks, he's very London. Um, but I discovered he was born. He was also born in a place where very few people of color are born right. in Italy, right. which is Aosta, which is right up in the mountains on the border between Italy and uh, and, uh, and and in France, where half the people speak French anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just think it's a remarkable yeah. story. We can't claim you him. Can't, no, you can't claim him. But, no. um, <laughs> but he's been a big part of that back three, right? And he's also established himself on a bad team, admittedly, in the Premier League this season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I can claim him, not just because he's Nigerian, but because um, his mom, and that's why you have the surname Bassi, he's from the same state as I come from in Nigeria. So 
I've got one up on you. Um, yeah, in, <laughs> in, 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 in that sense. Um, but yeah, look, he went to um, uh, he went to Fulham, and he's been absolutely phenomenal there for him. And he's done the same thing with Nigeria, playing that three centre back system. He's held it down. He's been very unyielding, uncompromising, and. You know, he's got also gotten license to go forward uh, on occasion, and he's done that brilliantly. So, uh, you know, it's like I said, that defense has surprised me, and I love what they do, and I hope that they do it again. Final against Okay, let's talk about Cote d'Ivoire then. Um, obviously, everybody knows the like, wonderful quote, like you know, "Can't kill a ghost; ghosts can't be scared." Frank Cassier is, is a poet, in addition to yeah. being uh, an absolute monster in midfield. We know the story about the two defeats, the pressure and so on, and it's kind of Disney as how they came back and how they came back and were so fortunate as well. Because those games, correct me if I'm wrong or if you disagree here, but in the round of sixteen in the quarterfinals, they were fortunate to get back into the game and it to was go a miracle. Through. But even to qualify for the last sixteen was a miracle. And even it's that Morocco. was an absolute miracle. It was not third, in their own hands. Yeah, it, it was out of their own hands. It was because uh, they were among the four best third place teams. But Semi-final, this was a completely different experience. They they did play a lot yeah. better. Yeah. Hey, Colin, what's your theory on why they were so bad before? Uh, did they just kind of wake up and say, hey, let's remember who we are. Let's remember that Seiko Fofana, that Sebastian Aller. We've got all these big-name players. Let's play well. Is that what happened? Well, I mean, look, tournaments have a way of being very funny. And they, they came in, they, they, they stormed through, won their first game, and they, they were expecting them. They would go on from there. And then they came up against uh, Nigeria, they lost that game, and things just kind of began to get a little bit all right. Uh, third game, again, you know, we didn't expect that to happen, uh, but they lost. And so they were out. Now, that, I think that's changed. First of all, the change in coach, and secondly, the reaction from the fans was probably one of the things that got them going and i think that you know with tournaments like this sometimes you struggle through the group phase i've seen uh especially at the afcon you've seen teams that have struggled in the group phase and then once they got past that it was almost like they, they've got the monkey off their backs and they just tend to get squeezed through the rest of the way Cameroon have done that before ghana have done that even nigeria i mean when we won the afcon in 2013 we're just close to being eliminated in the uh, group stages, but bounced back and brought all the way there. So once you get into those knockout stages, especially if you're a team um, of the, the likes of Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire, and so on, you kind of get a, a fresh win. And I also think that um, because they now had a local coach who understood the player, he sort of you know breathed new life into them. And even critically, he brought back the experience Max Gridel. He's a bit on over the hill, sort of, but he, he is part of the team that won the AFCON um, about a few years ago, yeah, Torre and the rest. And he's also got the experience, and he has been phenomenal for them uh, in that team. So I think when you put all of this together, it's the whole combination of circumstances that has got them here. It's been narrow, it's not been easy, uh, but they've made it. Um, I think that they'll be very difficult to burn the fight. I mean, Grider is fascinating. He's 36 years old. Exactly. I mean, I, and if you look at it, he, he provided the cross that one that led to Sebastian yeah. and it was, it was the kind of cross that you probably wouldn't see before on that with the, the previous uh, manager, uh, or maybe if things haven't gone so bad, but he was determined to get to the ball, he was determined to make that cross, and he made it, and Allah was in the right place, right hand, and what a spectacular goal. Yeah, and to be fair, Alia could have had a hat trick, and it's good to see him starting because he was not a starter at the start of the tournament. And after exactly. everything that happened to him, again, for, for a dual national, because Alia is French and Ivorian, like MS Faye too, I've got a really good fact about MS Faye, by the way, completely pointless, but good, I would keep it for a bit later. <laughs> but the thing about Gradel is 36, and I think, and, and I'm sure Colin will back me up on this, you win AFCON with a lot of experience. Jeremy Bogart is certainly a better player right now than Gradel. He's much younger, he's much fitter, he's much quicker. He's a lot of things that Gradel was 10 years ago. He's much more technical as well. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't have that experience. Like Colin said, only Aurier and Gradel were there in 2015 when Ivory Coast last won Afghan. And and this is this is precious. And Boga is great, and I'm sure he will learn a lot from his opinion, but he doesn't have that kind of experience. He doesn't have the, the know-how. He hasn't been there before, especially when the pressure is there because you play on home soil. And I think this is also the key, and, and what I think what Fire has done really, really well is that he also put a lot of his faith 
in those guys. Casey com- came back, had a monstrous semi-final when he lost his place in the team before. There's a lot of factors that I think have, have played a fight. My fact about MSFA, MS, MS is half French, half Hungarian, has the two passport, like a lot of those players. He actually played against Nigeria with the French under-17 team back in 2001 in the under-17 World Cup final that France won against Nigeria 1-0. Colin was a very young reporter at the time. I was a very young, not yet reporter. But it's funny that MS Faye now, in what is the maybe next biggest game in his life, as a coach Another now, shot against Nigeria. will face Nigeria, this time with Avory Coast, not with France. Uh, no, I, I think this is, this, this is all remarkable. Um, I'm struck by... I'm struck by the fact that, you know, I, I get the part that when you get to the knockout rounds, you're you're hitting the reset button. That's what every coach says, right, in every tournament. The problem is they were still bad, though, in the round of 16 and yeah. in the quarterfinals. And this was the first game against a really, really good team. I mean, Colin, I know you had the yeah. Democratic Republic of Congo going, going really far. This is where they clicked together, came together. Yeah. Sir Georgie suspended. Yeah. Some people would say it's not a bad thing, maybe. No, hey, that's guys, me. He's going to come, come, back, he's gonna come back and start the final. Of yeah? course. Mm-hmm. He's going to start yeah. the final. You're 100% certain? Well, um, I, I'm not 100%. I mean, I'm not a coach. So I wouldn't say 100% certain. But yeah, one would expect that like, he would start the final. But when you look at the way they play today, that, that's going to be a big, big call for um, the coach to um, get him to start the final. But yeah, you're right. I mean, they, they were this close to going home against Mali. Mali held the lead for so, so long. And then yeah. they came back, scored that equalizer late in the game, and then came back and finished it off with two quick goals. And Mali, in fact, um, I think the Malians were, uh, Malians were, uh, were, were heartbroken. We are, and speaking of a little bit of pointless fight skills, let me let me add this one to you. Herman Mpalele, the um, assistant coach of South Africa, played in the team that was beaten by Nigeria 24 years ago in the semi final. TJ, and now his assistant coach has played in the team that got beaten by Nigeria again in the second uh, semi-final of the Ashford for the second time. Yeah, there you go. I, I love these regional tournaments. Throw up all these, um, all these wonderful storylines and st- so much familiarity. Copa America, very much yeah. the same way. Uh, Colin, a, I'm not going to ask you your prediction because you told <laughs> yeah. us uh, <laughs> you're choosing that you're picking Nigeria. Um, oh, I have to pick Nigeria. Jules, you're going to pick Cote d'Ivoire because they're more Frenchy than... Probably. Oh, I would say that Nigeria are a better team right now. There's, there's just no doubt in everything that we've just mentioned, all the analysis that Colin has done structurally, collectively, individually. But I don't think... Uh, the home support in every AFCON is always massive. Yeah, did wonderful things for Ivory Coast earlier in the tournament, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who cares? They're now. They're in the final. <laughs> exactly. So I'll go for Cote d'Ivoire. <laughs> Uh, Colin Udo, thanks so much. Read his stuff on ESPN.com. All right, enough AFCON. Jules, uh, let's talk the magic of the FA Cup. FA Cup magic. I'm not being, I'm, I'm not being sarcastic here, um, but often we associate the magic with the FA Cup with unbelievable things happening, yeah. improbable things happening. And it's usually in Upstate. It's Maidstone United. It's, yeah. You know, whatever. I thought this was equally improbable <laughs> because you have Aston Villa who are so strong at home that had an incredible un- unbeaten run yeah. and so on. This is a trophy that, you know, they can obviously they, they want to finish top four, but this is also a trophy that they can realistically win yeah. uh, th- this season or have a shot at. And they're playing a Chelsea team who are in the final of the other cup trophy. So for the silverware crew, you got that covered, but also concede a ton of goals on the road. Uh, are coming off an absolute humiliation at home where yeah. they're booed off the pitch. They look at a very, very low ebb. And instead, what happens? They Pochettino wipe, wipes the freaking wipe the floor. floor with your man, Unai Emery. Incredible, man. I, I don't think stomps all over him. Yeah, and I don't think anybody saw really that coming, to be fair. There's clearly something about Chelsea and Cups and domestic Cups this season between the League Cup and the, and the FA Cup. Have... As bad as the, uh, the the first game between them at Stamford Bridge was, that nil-nil draw, this one was incredible. And of course, if you score two goals in the first 20 minutes of a game like this, it makes a big impact if you score your first goal after 10 minutes. But Chelsea were outstanding. All the things that we mentioned the other day when we had a, a deep dive on them, 
the things that don't function, even the Caicedo Enzo midfield partnership that was so good, I thought. I think that was a that, that, that yeah, was a drift. It was not the same Moises Caicedo. The, but, this is the original Moises Caicedo who was at Brighton, who played last night. Yeah, not the dude who's been turning off for Chelsea. It was incredible. Yeah, incredible. And for you know Villa and the Camara Douglas Luiz partnership, whether you rate them or not, it's, they have been bossing games at Villa Park this season. That midfield with McGinn and Tillemans and whoever Unai plays. They were like, they made them look, Caicedo and Enzo made them look like literally amateurs. What I thought was really interesting and I thought maybe kind of brave as well from, from Pochettino was we've been saying, hey, dude, you have one center forward and it's Nico Jackson with all his limitations. So what does he do? He switches it up for this game. He plays Nico Jackson on the wing. He is... Cole Palmer sort of pretendo centrally, basically alongside yeah, even Gallagher. Gallagher, to be fair, was quite high up. Uh, and Madweke on, on the other side, yeah. right? In place of Raheem Sterling. So he rolled the dice here. And it worked really, really well. Now we can debate whether, is this something you want to see again? Do you really want to have Cole Palmer as your front guy? Are you going to play like a, the old Spalletti strikerless system yeah. with, that he did play with Totti or whatever? But on the night, it absolutely it absolutely worked. They pressed high, pressed well. Madueke yeah, was, was a monster yeah. down the right. Yeah, with Malo Gusto as well. I mean, we said about Gusto before. Great going forward. The limitations for now, and he's still a very young player, are defensively. You saw the penalty he gave away on Cunha against Wolves, for example. But his cross is inch perfect for Nico Jackson. And it's a great goal by Nico Jackson because he doesn't have to think about anything. The ball arrives, he's his head, he goes in. That's perfect, you know? Everything works for Chelsea defensively. Um, the centre-backs... Worked well, Chilwell was decent compared to the mistakes that he made against Forbes. I don't know, but, but one of the problems that we've had was consistency with Chelsea this season anyway, because they've played well at times for yeah, 20 minutes. Yeah, no, yeah, they yeah, have yeah, 20 yeah. minutes, okay, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half whatever, an hour. Right. Yeah, but, but this time, for the first time this season, you know, it was decent. Let's see if they can follow that up in the week at the weekend. It was interesting too, because we had that situation where Thiago Silva's wife tweeted something for which she felt she had to apologize. Yeah. She said like, oh, you know, this is unacceptable. I'm paraphrasing Things have here, to change. Right? Things said. have to change, right? And then people said like, oh, look, she wants Pochettino sacked, which I don't think she, this, I think, I don't, I don't think this was her thought at all. Could have like, been. Look, she didn't grow up a Chelsea fan. I'm she's fairly always sure. very vocal though. She's always been. She's great, Belle, but she's always. By the way, she apologizes. Thiago Silva's on the bench and he gets spiky. When he's asked, like, oh, why do you drop Thiago Silva? He's like, so, but I have other players, blah, blah, blah. Why are you going to be about him? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe because he's your captain. You can't play three games in a week, though. That's all you had to say. That's all you had to say. Yeah, All you had to say is the dude's 38, whatever. We're, you know. Um, Into celebration, uh, taking off the shirt, getting booked. I know there was that story about him leaving, and he's pointing to the ground. I'm right here. I'm right here. Dude. Chelsea are not going to sell into Fernandez <laughs> I mean, unless he goes to Saudi because they won't get their money back. They're going to take exactly. They spend 120 million on yeah, it. I, th- I, th- I think we can we can safely move on. Um, just so. just one last on Enzo. Uh, always the end. No, no, no. Always you the don't have a problem with the You're celebration. Showing the London bias. You don't have a problem with the shirt, the cele- celebration, right? Do it's, I have a problem with it? Yeah, it's an well, amazing goal. So after that, I can understand after weeks of frustration. You take a booking. Which well, could cost you suspension later in the fight. I mean, if it's good for Messi, it's good for me. It's good for Enzo, sure. Okay, first of all, this is first the of Messi all. celebration, right? The yeah, okay. like, all right, all right, hey. all right, all right, all right. right. If he had scored a tap in, he would not have done it. He would not have done it. None of this. None of, did you just say if it's good for Messi? If okay, Messi, yeah. okay. Yeah. We don't mention Enzo and Messi, unless we're reading I didn't the Argentina say If it's lineup. good for Messi, it's good for me. That's what I said. Yeah, maybe Didn't good for you, but not good for Enzo. Like, look, I, I don't no care problem. about that part. I don't associate. No problem I, with I do think, I do think a little bit with the I'm staying here. Yeah, we said obviously you're staying here, but also I also wonder how seriously do we? Because remember the last time he did the celebration? Oh, I'm staying here. At Benfica, yeah. He was he at Benfica, right? Yeah. Uh, after the initial bid. Yeah, two days then, later he left. Yeah. So I, I don't really take seriously what he says. Yes, he's staying here because the window is closed. Yeah, and he's going and to be here. But, but Enzo is not can't be happy. Any of those Chelsea players, I know they won last night. Great for them. They're in the fifth round of the FA Cup, right? But nobody is happy, right? Right now, in that this is not where they should be. Eleventh in the table, they lost more games than they've won in the Premier League this year. This is not this is not where they want to be. So, you could understand if some of those players thinking like, "Hey, I'm here, but really, this is not 
Well, you're She's just pursuing the media agenda against Chelsea because when Liverpool saying. lose, as Pochettino says, <laughs> I don't hear anything. No, just yeah, kidding. they lose as much. No, as of course they're not happy. And I think, I think they, they feel they let a lot of people down. They let the club down. Yeah. They've let the fans down. They've let their manager down. And but they want to do with better. There's rumors is... about future. That's what I mean. It always comes. If they were... Yeah, but in the league and, and doing well, no, there would be no rumors about them leaving. But you you don't start the rumors after the window closes, is what, is no, what yeah, I'm saying, yeah, right? True. So I think you can put that on the shelf. I think it's encouraging they got a reaction. Now they need to build on it. Because a lot of times with Chelsea, yeah. to be fair, they have had spurts where they played well enough. Yeah, of course. But then something goes bad, and then they kind of crumble, right? And here it was kind of the reverse. They crumbled. And now yeah. they showed a reaction. I think that's what Poch needs to needs yeah, to build sure. on because he played really, really well. Sure. Now Villa, okay, you want to give him a pass and say, oh, it's hard to come back when you give up an early goal. Like, yeah, I know. But Wolves managed to do it and put four past Chelsea after conceding first. Sure. I was a bit surprised that Emery, who normally is you know tactically pretty sharp, except in that Newcastle game when they lost five 0 but um, he didn't. He didn't kind of work out what was going on. It was almost like he didn't expect that setup. Yeah. Um, but when you're chasing the game, again, I think we go back to the early goals. I think it's hard to change your setup when you're goal down already and you, you just need to go, come back into the game. Okay, but... I just thought they like... You, you, say, you say this, right? But I think the obvious thing, right? Tielemans is getting nowhere, right? So then obvious thing might be, hey, I'm a goal down, then two goals down. What if I bring on a winger, since I got Diaby on the bench, and, and Diaby I paid a lot yeah, of money yeah, for, I'll, I'll and Zaniolo on the bench, uh, and then I can move McGinn, you know, and I can change McGinn's position, and I can go back to the system yeah, that I played most I of the year. Yeah, with Paul. But that would have been an obvious But thing. It's, it looked cool. I mean, he was usually for him, he was standing up a lot in his area. He was sat a lot, almost like, I don't really know what's happening. I can't really understand what's happening. And it's probably... A, a fair reaction in a way considering how good Villa have been all season especially mm. at Villa Park and I think he was probably a bit shocked by how good Chelsea were in general how well they started how aggressive they were and maybe how not aggressive his, his own team was yeah I, I was shocked too watching it on television but you know what I'm not the coach Villa coach on the sidelines who yeah, fair you know, he's been there before yeah yeah um, I, I, I wonder too because from the Villa players' perspective, I, I think Emery needs to work quickly to make sure that this doesn't, that there isn't fallout from this, you know, in, in, in the sense that there isn't a situation where, oh, wow, maybe we're really not that good. No, you have to keep believing you're, you're that good. You're, you're in fourth place in the Premier League for a reason. Yeah, yeah. Go back, study what you did wrong, and then come back. Um, and that, that's the one thing I don't know about, just given the nature of the, of the lack of reaction. Yeah, um, I mean, to be fair, since kind of since the turn of the year or like start of January, you know, they drew out Everton nearly didn't score and yeah, they yeah, could have scored Everton. in that. Yeah, but still, then there's that draw at Chelsea in the reverse, the first, the first game before this replay. They lost against Newcastle 3-1 at home, which already, I think that game against Newcastle showed the limitations, that the same ones that we saw last night again. It's, it's improved. They gave up five goals quite, the first time and then... They yeah, but it's still quite similar yeah. in the way that, you know, they go behind and they don't really know how to react. They can't see two close, close goals right. with each other. And, and yeah, okay, there's the win against Sheffield United 5-0. I mean, you and I could play against Sheffield United and we would win too. So it's just not... You know, I, I don't know. I'm a bit worried. They play United at home this weekend. A United team that is playing better, that is attacking better, scoring more goals. Remember uh, one of Emery's, well, I think his first game even, was United at home when they had a great win and mm. it really kick-started the Emery era. Let's see how they respond because I, just, I really don't think it's an easy response after being so badly beaten by Chelsea. I know in the end it's 3-1, okay, but it's, it's a bad performance from them. All right, enough uh, FA Cup. How about some uh, quick hits instead? Let's go, guys. This was way back on Monday. But Manchester City come from behind to beat Brentford 3-1 as Phil Foden bags a hat-trick. And yeah. Erling Holland makes his first start since December. Yeah. They're still looking good, right, Jules? Yeah, they did, although they, once again, went behind, like we saw at Everton, for example. They do this goal, on purpose to make the game exciting. a goal that maybe, maybe. I mean, it was fun. Uh, a goal they should never concede. No... Yeah professional team not even a grassroots team at it, any edge level any edge group you cannot concede a goal from a goal kick where the ball bounces it's not acceptable right I, yeah 
But after that, they were great. They created a lot of chances. They could have scored more goals. Well done. Foden, KDB looks sharp, looked great. Haaland a little bit rusty. There's that one-on-one against Flecken that he misses. But overall, it was a good day at the office, you would say, for City, apart from that goal. Sticking with City, according to multiple reports, Gabi, they've agreed to sign Savio, who's at Girona, one of the revelations of La Liga this season, on loan from Troyes, even though he was only there for 22 days and had never played for Troyes ever. Gab, is this multi-club ownership as its finest? Yeah, of course, because Troyes and Girona are part of the City football group. Yeah. They're major shareholders in them. Um, I think the Premier League are aware of this, obviously. It's interesting. The Premier League are talking about, well, we're going to uh, have a free market value uh, policy when we assess you know, these transfers. So to make sure that they can't sign yeah, Savio from for Troyes. Yeah. On the other hand, they own Troyes. I mean, Troyes wants to give him away. You can make the argument, why shouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, you know, why do you introduce these rules after the fact? If it was the other way around, right? If for whatever reason... Manchester City wanted to loan, I don't know, Guardiol to Troyes. And Troyes said, like, we can't afford his wages. Like, how would you do that? How would that work? Yeah. I, I, this is the problem. One of the, the issues with multi-club ownership. The other funny issue is, to this day, as the rules stand, the UEFA Congress is going on. I'm sure they can still change the rules. But you know that if Girona finish higher than Manchester City this season, yeah. as the rules stand right now, uh, there's a, and if UEFA decide to apply them, Manchester City wouldn't be playing Champions League football, which yeah. I find absolutely yeah. hilarious. It is. Atletico Madrid lose at home to Atletico Bilbao in the first leg of the Copa del Rey semi-final. Jules, they paid a hefty price for that Reinildo and Berenguer tackle. Yeah, they did. That was the only goal of the game. Berenguer scored that, free, that penalty kick. They didn't play at their best, Atletico, and this was the first leg. They were they were in Madrid, so they will have the second leg in... San Mames. In, uh, San Mames in Bilbao, and... They scored a late goal that was, uh, they would have had a penalty, but uh, Morata was offside. Griezmann, I thought, took a long time to get into the game, and in the end, it was just not enough. I don't think this tie is over yet because they can go to Bilbao and win. But it was their first defeat at home this season at the, uh, the Civitas Metropolitano. So, not a good day, not good enough for Atletico Madrid and for this Athletic Club, the Bilbao team. It's just, they're, they're still doing, putting those results up. I think it's really impressive. Really impressive. Also back on Monday night, Roma beat up Cagliari 4-0 as Paolo Di Bala scores twice. Gab, they're just one point away from fourth place. Yeah, three wins in a row for Daniele De Rossi since replacing Jose Mourinho. Though, of course, three wins against pretty bad teams. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? They're, the football's completely changed. They're playing very attacking football. Um, they, they had Angelino out there after his move, and he looks really good. He yeah, attacks well. Of course. Um, so... It's exciting. They really believe they're going to finish top four. I told you. It's a big game of the weekend, though. That's a big test. Uh, obviously a big one, yeah. Bayer Leverkusen come from behind to beat Stuttgart at home and advance to the German Cup semi-final thanks to a late, late goal uh, from Jonathan Tarr, of all people. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is what they do in 2024. They score late uh, to go and win matches. They were still impressive the way they played in what was a strong team, very strong Stuttgart team, as well in a really, really good game. They're unbeaten now in 30 games this season. 15 home, 15 away. They've been incredible. They're two games away from the record from Bayern Munich for a German team to stand beaten in all competition. It's really, really impressive. And they're playing Bayern Munich, of course. And then they're playing Bayern Munich this weekend, which is an incredible game coming up in the Bundesliga. And we can't miss it. It's going to be very special. But for now, amazing. Really Florian Wirtz, player of the season in the Bundesliga? I think he's been 15 assists already he's yeah. got in he's been walking on here the last month ridiculous Gab Lissandro Martinez is reportedly will reportedly be out for two months after picking up yet another injury against West Ham last weekend Manchester United can't catch a break how big of a blow this is I think it's a blow because they're a much better team when they have a composed defender back there. Maguire is the other defender who's supposed to be composed, of course, but you probably don't want him uh, out there. I think Varane's mind is is elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I, Lindelof is injured, and if you were fit, when we, eh. and then you have your, your pal Johnny Evans. Or you move Luke Shaw into the middle. Yeah. You know, I, I like, it's, it's, it's not good. Not good. It's not good. Jules, you can never have enough Manchester United. Our colleague Rob Dawson reports that they will target players who have one year left on their contracts this summer. 
summer, partly because money is tight. So among the players yeah. that they're targeting, and you want to get your, your quick view on these. Yeah, yeah. By the way, this is like kind of like a captain obvious that like with one year left, you're not going to be as expensive. Joshua Kimmich, Jonathan David, Kefren Turam, and Alfonso Davies. Yeah, great list, of course. I mean, there's pros and cons for all those players. Uh, and it's not because they have one year left in the contract that they're going to be cheap either, by the way. Yeah, they'd be cheaper than if they had four years left on their contract. But even with one year, they're still going to cost you a fair amount in terms of transfer fee and then bonuses, wages, all of that. Also, those players will not come to you if you're not playing in the Champions League next season. So finishing top four, before yes. you think about anything else, should be your priority here. Uh, also, frankly, of these four, I'm pretty sure Joshua Kimmich is going to extend. Okay. Uh, Jonathan David's having a horrendous year. You could probably uh, It's a bit better him. now, but yeah. Uh, Kefren Turam, so remember who the agent is. Yeah, um, and he got and, injured. Uh, and Fonzie, I don't know, people he's keep telling me he's going to Real Madrid. So yeah. we'll see. It's not easy, yeah. Barcelona director Deco spoke out this morning on Thursday and said there are no plans to sell Arojo or Frankie de Jong, that Lamine Yamal will get a new contract when he turns 18 and that they are not speaking to any manager. Zero talks. That makes sense to you? Uh, it's telling me there's no, no plan to sell Arojo or Frankie de Jong. Of course, because Frankie de Jong tried to sell him. He doesn't want to leave. Yeah. No, uh, those are the two saleable assets. He doesn't have to make the decision now in the summer. They may not have a choice. Yeah. Uh, Lamine Yamal getting a new contract is obvious. Uh, not speaking to any manager, no, that would make no sense because you have a manager who's told you that he's leaving at the end of the season. So, so they have to prepare. But look, it's a, you know, it's funny when when Deco talks. Are, are we supposed to believe he's giving us the gospel truth? No, true, exactly. True. So. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Paris Saint-Germain are through in the French Cup being pressed 3-1. Jules, they did better than when they played them in the league, no? Yeah, yeah, because they won yeah, instead of the, the two, two draw that we had the at the Parc des Princes. But Brest, they are a good team. They are a really good team. And this PSG team, Gabi, again, especially in the second half, they fall asleep. They don't wake up from their half-time half break nap. There's something just not, not working. Uh, and they could have even, even a nil-nil before Mbappe scored the first goal. They were under pressure at times, but they should never be under pressure against a team like Brest. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is, not, this is not good. There's still a lot of work to be done. And by now, I would have expected not really to be. The Premier League's chief football officer, Tony Scholl, says that VAR has been nowhere near good enough this season. No relation to Paul, as I understand. No, yeah. Doesn't even look like him much. No, doesn't. Uh, yeah, he says there's too many checks and they take too long. Um, In-stadium experience for supporters is bad because they don't know what's going on. Okay, fine. Like you're, you're kind of parroting what the people in the media say all the time. Uh, what I thought was interesting, though, then he pointed out that uh, this year they've been 20 VAR mistakes. Uh, last year, there'd been 25. Now, let's remember, this dude works for the Premier League, not for yeah. the PGMOL. Yeah, right? yeah. So presumably, they have their own way of tracking these mistakes. And then, again, I don't know where this data comes from, but this is before VAR. 82% of referee decisions were correct. Now it's 96%. So you've gone from like nearly 1 in 5 to 1 in 25. Again, who works that out? I, yeah. To me, it seems like a win-win. If, if it's the truth, it's good. If the, it's the truth. Yeah. Jules, it wasn't just Chelsea and Villa in the FA Cup replays, <laughs> though Premier League snobs like me might have yeah. thought so. What else stood out? Well, you'd be glad to learn that uh, Nottingham Forest have gone through on, on penalties. penalties against Bristol. Not great. Even the performance was great. City, Bristol City, I believe. City, as people yeah. said, there's two teams, I'm told. Yeah, Rovers and City. That was City. Really good performance from their point of view on penalties. Uh, we saw Coventry lead Southampton from the Championship. Not your favourite teams, of course. Going through, and we will have, I think, three uh, all Premier League ties in the, in the fifth round of the FA Cup so still potential for you know not just that but Chelsea and Chelsea playing Leeds as well with a sort of a 1970s yeah, you uh, like that? vibe about that. Like that big Bruce? rivalry big yeah, rivalry exactly. I mean something for Chelsea to get excited about we'll see Maidstone who will travel to Coventry I think a study by the Times newspaper has revealed that the amount of English qualified players starting in, in games continue to drop and it's now at its lowest in the past 10 seasons less than 30% is the concern if you're Gary Stadgate or an England fan? which I'm not um, me neither not at all I don't think so because so it's, it's dropped down and it's actually probably even lower because two of these guys the list includes Michael Elise and, and William Osula from Sheffield United who Michael of course, Olise, who played for France under 21 you mean? He played for France yeah, under okay. 21 so we, I yeah, mean yeah. they're still eligible but yeah, might, yeah, no, I think no. Osula played for Denmark or, but um, but here's 
here's the reason why I'm not concerned is that it's been around that 30, 31, 32% mark for the last 10 years. And guess what? England got really good in that time. They have a really good national team. I mean, yeah. like a really, really talented national team. On top of that, <clears throat> there's very good English players playing abroad, like Jude Bellingham, for yeah. example, or that Harry Kane chap, or, you know, so this idea that, oh, you know, back in the day when nobody from elsewhere would buy English players, I think that's gone. So, and I think it means that the guys who are eligible to play for England, play in the, they, they face a tougher standard of competition day in, day out. Yeah. There's no need to be protectionist, is there? No, no, I agree with you. Anybody, it's funny because every time, for example, Italy go out of a tournament, right? They, say, they go and they blame this situation. I'm like, it's stupid. Just learn the facts, realize that it can make you better. True, but the, the point is wider about young players coming through from academies who won't have a chance because there are a lot of foreigners in the Premier League as well. Right. To what you can answer, if you're good enough, whether there's only 30% English players starting in the Premier League or not, you will play. If you're yeah. not good enough, you play in the Championship League 1 also, or League 2. It's as simple as that. The nice thing of being an entitled European is that you know, you're not on the Cook Islands. You can just simply go an hour away and find other professional clubs yeah. where you can play. Like, I mean, that's the simple reality of it. It's different in France, I suppose, because every year all the best players leave, right? It's I okay. It opens know. up space for the next generation. Yeah, exactly. We're very happy with that model. <laughs> Bild report that Bayern have reached an agreement with Leipzig to release sporting director Max Eberl. Jules, we knew he was coming. Yeah, we knew. Uh, we knew it was just a question of time. It's, it's a weird situation. Nobody's having Germany where they have to release the guy, pay compensation. I always find it weird. This is, how much has he moved the needle? I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, great CV, of course, in terms of knowledge, in terms of network, everything good. You wonder where that leaves Christopher Freund, who's been acting sporting director this season, really. Not, not that maybe Thomas Tuchel thinks he's great, but, but this is his job. So I think Herbal is even like higher up on the board, some kind of advisory role too, as well as shaping up the sporting director's side and recruitment side. Let's see. The way I see as well, maybe very cynically, is it just as another layer of more argument coming and somebody else deciding again, on top of everything that we've seen this season, it's another voice. I mean, Abel is a strong personality. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it would be popcorn, Hollywood, box office again. So, but it's funny because I, there have been taught, I mean, he's been linked for a long yeah. time, even while Nagelsmann was still there. Yeah, yeah. I think the thinking was, he can maybe be the Nagelsmann whisperer and handle him, blah, 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 because they obviously have a relationship. Yeah. I don't know how this is going to work with Tommy T. I don't know what kind yeah. of, you know. It's a good point. And that's going to be pretty critical. Yeah. Napoli president Aurelio Di Laurenti spoke out in a marathon press conference this week and had plenty to say, Gab. Yeah, I was almost like, oh, let me see him go and make some headlines. I'll just give you some <laughs> highlights. Uh, he talked about how he got Napoli way ahead of Juve, and he did it without cheating, which I'm hey, sure Juve really appreciated. Uh, he said that when uh, we got rid of Rudy Garcia, uh, who, of course, he brought in to replace by the start of the season, he told him to F off. Of course. Um, and... Ponspaletti. Oh, he said he said that Bari, which is owned by um, it's owned by the same company that owns Napoli, uh, and uh, his son is the president there. He said, "Oh, Bari, RRB team, uh, which would be make it illegal." Yeah, and no, they're not. And the son <laughs> said, "I don't know what he's talking about. He must have misspoken. We're definitely not their B team." Uh, and then on the breakup with Spalletti, he said, "Oh, look." I decided I ended up giving him way too much power. I mean, after all, he hadn't won anything outside of Russia, as if that doesn't yeah. count. Um, it's not very uh, gracious, though. Sounds like something Mourinho might say. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if he's been talking to Mourinho. Anyway, whatever. Uh, and then he said, look, in the end, um, I, he said, I expected better in the Champions League. And Napoli, of course... Quarterfinals. Know, quarterfinals in the Champions League. Oh, I thought that they would do better. And his argument was... Inter nearly, obviously did really well, reached the final against Manchester City. Yeah. You know, a very, very close game. Yeah. And he says, and Inter finished 20 points behind us in the league, so we're better than Inter. So I, I thought we could have won the Champions League. Okay. Now, you're setting a ridiculously high bar. I don't know if he wants people to think that he's a crazy person. I don't know. Or I, I don't know. Does he want sympathy, do you think, or what? What's... It's pretty unhinged. I mean, I think he might be getting a call from lawyers at Juve, by the way. <laughs> Leon are on a roll. Big win for them against Lille to advance in the Coupe de France. 
Jules, more credit for John Texter because it's credit. him, yeah. More and the the gift scored his first goal. The gift, that, gift Orban, gift Orban. That keeps on giving. Scored his first goal. Really lovely finish. They were good. Even when you benched Lacazette and Matic, one of the new signing, uh, Nuama as well. Then they still perform well. Shirky was great uh, in the four three three. They go back to back four. By the way, <coughs> when when Pierre Sage, the uh, the the coach that took over Grosso. Or Stonewise, as we've been calling him, of course, in the English translation uh, on the show. Usually play the back three, this time a back four. That worked really well. Lille were one of the teams the most informed in France. So to go to Lyon and get spanked, because they got spanked. I know it's only 2-1, but they got spanked properly. You're going to blame my man Paolo? No, no, no. I think, I mean, it's funny because, just quickly, Paolo after the game, Paolo Fonseca said, well, you know, we dominated the game. One of those... Um, interviews from managers where you think, really? Did we watch the same game here? And the president, Olivier Letton, the Lille president, came out and spoke to the press, which is never a good sign, and said, listen, players took it for granted. They were too full of themselves after the good result that we've had lately. This was, this was not acceptable. So clearly a very different message from the president and the manager. Let's see what they do. Um, at the weekend, where they play, oh, yeah, in Paris against PSG. So uh, good luck, good luck with that one. UFA vote on package term limits and EFA uh, and the, the English FA, sorry, stand against what Seferin wants. Uh, yeah, it was interesting that the vote has has gone through. They they, they voted this morning, um, and it was a package of reforms, which includes some things that I think everybody agrees on yeah. about sort of. Uh, opportunities in women's football and and, and, and more solidarity, um, but also revising the term limits in such a way that would make it possible for him to go and run for a third term, uh, which of course probably against the spirit of yeah, the laws when he took over. Definitely. Uh, what was interesting was, and I guess this is politics, you know, he packaged the vote on the term limits together in the same kind of bill, so to speak, with, he bundled them all together to ostensibly just save time with a bunch of other reforms that everybody agreed on. Yeah. And it's one of those things that, you know, you, you might have seen if you've been following U.S. politics, aid for Ukraine, uh, and then vote for the, you know, security at the border were two different things, but to get it through, we bundle it all together. Um, as a result, and on top of that, he also called for, uh, rather than a secret vote, secret ballot, they also called for it to go in and have the vote. Everybody kind of hold up a card, right? Red okay, card, green yeah. card. So all public. When it goes all public, you know that people aren't going to stand against them yeah. unless they lose. And in the end, you'll, the FA voted against, uh, the English FA, because they're the English FA. They can do what they like. Uh, others, I think it's fair to say, would have voted against had it been anonymous, but they didn't want to stand up and kind of pick a fight. Yeah. Look, you know my thoughts on this. He has said, he has said, I haven't decided yet on a third term. You've just given yourself the power to have a third term, so people will assume you have a third term. I think I would leave the. I would. I don't. I don't think it's a good look to have a third term. I don't think it's healthy for any organization. You've done a lot of really good yeah, things in fighting true. into Super League, yeah. in reaching a deal for the new reform of the Champions League, the Swiss model, which may work, which may not work, but. Not easy to hash yeah, out yeah. A, an agreement between the clubs and so on. And you've managed to do it while continuing to, to give away all this money back to the clubs and solidarity, including the little clubs. If you just focus the rest of your time on putting in place good governance for whoever comes after you and then sail off into the sunset, I think you're going to be remembered very well. If you're seen as somebody who's trying to hang on, I think people might view you a little yeah, differently because you've seen the attacks from from people like Balban, from people like that, like like David Gill. Those are people you don't want to you want to keep on your side, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, it's the uh, fun part of breaking news. But uh, as we recorded that, uh, you'll recall that we suggested to Jeffrey that he probably might not might choose not to want to run again. And uh, I don't know if he was listening, but he has now announced that he will not stand for a third term um personally i think that's good for the european game may he spend the rest of this time now uh focusing on leaving a good legacy and good governance for uefa let's go to the asian cup jewels defending champions cutter uh are through to the final with a dramatic comeback against iran 
They had a chance to make it 3-3 in the yeah. 13th minute of injury time. And, yeah, but, you know. it was a great game. Really attacking game. Really, really good game. This competition has been good. I know we talked a lot about AFCON, but the Asian Cup has been really good as well. Uh, this year in Qatar, Qatar will defend the title, as you said. Back-to-back final. This is pretty impressive in itself. I'm not sure they were the better team against Iran, I won't lie. No, Iran were the better team. Yeah, but but they rode their luck a little but bit. But you know, Qatar, they support. have that incredible home support. They have their home support. We saw at the, uh, at the World Cup, right? Yeah, exactly. But I don't know what happened at the World Cup, really, because there's only a better team than what they showed at the World Cup, for sure, even against tougher opposition, of course. But they've been good in this competition, even if we said they rode their luck in that semi-final, and I think Iran could feel like they let that opportunity to qualify for another final slip in the end we'll have Qatar in the final and against who well Gabby they will face Jordan and my boy Moussa Tamari who we mentioned a lot on the show was outstanding in the other semi-final this was quite the upset as Jordan beat South Korea. Yeah, upset on paper because South Korea are, yeah. you know, obviously a much bigger pedigree. They have many more famous players other than your buddy Al Tamari, who, you know, is a celebrity in the Lawrence household. Yeah, but he's great uh, in, the in Ligue 1. second division or, you know. Uh, he but, plays in Ligue 1. Sorry, Ligue 1. Come on. Yo, by the way, just a little side note. You know the uh, biggest spending league in the world? Yeah. In uh, the January transfer yeah, window? Yeah, of course. Liga? Liga, of course. The best team in the world, too. Second biggest spending, Brazilian Serie A. Exactly. Uh, Anyway, uh, going back to this game, we talked about how Korea had been really, really fortunate in their last two outings, coming from behind, getting the late bounce, lurking on emotion. But I I thought a little bit like Cote d'Ivoire, I said, hey, look, maybe they'll just click together in the semifinal. They have a lot more quality than Jordan. No, they lost 2-0, I think. Our man Jurgen is going to get, he's already being slaughtered by the yeah. local media. Yeah. Um, so. He's going to have to carry a lot of blame. Yeah, and if you haven't seen my boy Altamari's goal, solo effort, it's just amazing. He's so good. A goal and an assist in the semi final of the Asian Cup is pretty cool. The, the amazing thing about this final, like, and obviously, we don't want to bring politics into it, but. Jordan against Qatar, there's a lot of layers there, yeah. given the history of Jordan, the founding of the Jordan, of say the Jordan, of the Palestinians were there. Yeah. Uh, Qatar, um, I, I, I think... In Qatar as well, yeah. Yeah. I think it's safe to say 99% of the Arab world will be backing Jordan, no matter how yeah. kind the Qataris are. Definitely. But yeah. Definitely. More fun times for Kareem Benzema uh, in Saudi Arabia. He reportedly stormed out of Al Ittihad's training session after clashing with coach Marcelo Cachardo. Now, yeah. hey, it happened with Nuno Espirito Santo, and you can understand because it's Nuno, right? Yeah. Seeing his face every day, you just want to run the other way. Yeah. But Cachardo, come on. Cachardo is tough, though. He's really tough. And but they can speak authorita- in French. Authoritarian, and it, yeah, not sure about the French. I mean, we knew they didn't get on. Obviously, I don't know who's for. I don't know who is it to blame. Both of them, Karim. Come on, Gachardo. one is the dream. The other one's Gachardo yeah, doesn't yeah. have the pelotas to come coach in Europe. La Muñeca. No, yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where. I don't know what the issue. The issue might be way deeper than just Gachardo as a as a coach anyway. And you remember Karim being stuck in Mauritius. <laughs> obviously, uh, we, there was a storm. There really was a storm. Uh-huh. I just don't know where this is going, where this is leading. Obviously, I think Karim would have liked to come back to Europe. That was not possible. They tried to shift him to another Saudi club, and he was like, "Come on, please." <laughs> so let's see. The only thing I know is that Ali Tiar would be much better with Karim Benzema in their team than not. That they are not doing well in the league. They're seventh. Um, so let's hope for everyone that this gets solved and sorted out. But knowing Karim Benzema like I do, I'm not so sure. There's still a long way. This is this whole thing is really good. Look, it's really it? embarrassing. Yeah. It's really embarrassing also for what Karim Benzema stands for in the sense that. But again, know, I don't know the whole story. No, no. But why. what he stands for in terms of you move to Saudi Arabia, the man is a Muslim of Arabic descent yeah. who's also outwardly, I think, quite religious yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, he's not the only Muslim. Saudi Oman is obviously Muslim. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the difference is he's Kareem Benzema. Yeah. And then he moves there and you just can't get along. Yeah. Because, you know, with all, and with all due respect, and certainly with Nuno, and I don't know if they were stupid and they said, oh, okay, Nuno, fine. But when we bring in the next manager, since we've built our whole campaign and everything around him, let's make sure that it's somebody that Benzema can work with. Yeah. Right? Instead, I, know. I, you know, it's, it's a bit like Inter Miami did. I mean, I'm sure Lionel Messi could change the club colors to whatever he wants if he, if he asked for it, right? Yeah, yeah. 
you have to treat this the same way, I know. but they haven't. Yeah. So Jim Ratcliffe reportedly wants to turn Old Trafford into the Wembley of the North. Not really sure what that means, but nobody would disagree <laughs> with that, will they, Gab? Uh, uh, yeah, you, you could. T- As in, like a big stadium in the north. That's the, <laughs> is that what that means? A big prestigious stadium right. for okay. ma- for massive events. Wembley okay. will host the Champions League final right. later this year, of course. Not everybody likes Wembley. I'm not the biggest fan. But, hey, whatever. It's, if you mean let's invest in the stadium in yeah. Old Trafford and make it better than what it is. I mean, you know, every single time Mark Ogden, we talk to Mark Ogden, he reminds us that, like, they have a leaky roof. Yeah, it's falling you know, apart. Yeah. It's, time to, it's, it's time to sort it yeah. out. We've had the UEFA Women's Champions League draw, Jules. Who you got? This is really good, Gabby, I think. The, yeah, this too is, many Norwegian, Scandi no, teams that I haven't heard good. of. They've always been good in Scandinavia. So this is the four quarterfinals. Ajax against Chelsea, Benfica against Lyon, Haken against PSG, and Brian against Barcelona. Uh, I think the trickier draw is the one for PSG because Haken are a good team. We saw that against Real Madrid and Paris FC and Chelsea in the group stage. PSG did beat them twice last season in the group stage of the, of the Women's Champions League. It's a better team now. PSG are still the favourite, but especially with the second leg in Paris. But this is this is this is going to be good. The rest, I think Barca far too good for Brand. I think Lyon are far too good for Benfica. I like Ajax and the pace that they've got up front. But Chelsea, even without Sam Kerr, should be too strong. What's interesting is that the bracket towards the final is all done, so we could have a Chelsea Barca semi final on one hand and the old French semi final on the other hand between Lyon and PSG, both Lyon and PSG win against Benfica and Haken. So really, really good. This happens in March, if I'm not mistaken, or late February and late March, something like that, uh, because obviously there's the, nations, the Women's Nations League is happening in March too. So really, really good fixtures, I think. I, I think it's super cool that big historic European clubs like Ajax and Benfica, who yeah. You know, not seen as powerhouses in the yeah, women's yeah. game. That's the fair point. They managed to advance in a way, you know, and 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 kind of in, in into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, which I think is is a big deal. I was going to joke that the men's team wouldn't do it, but obviously Ajax did it a few years ago, and Benfica did it last year. So obviously yeah. that's not the case, but it shows, and, yeah, and hopefully yeah. can build momentum at that level too. Yeah, Frank Lampard has been seen around Chelsea a lot recently. We mentioned that in previous shows. Gab, some outlets are reporting that he's been lined up to replace Emma Hayes when she leaves the women's teams at the end of the season to go and coach the US in the summer. No, you don't. Seeing your face, you don't. I look. I I think. There are many who've who've done both, right? People who've coached yep. the men's game gone to the women's game. Uh, there's some. Yeah. Results have been very. I'm talking at a high level, right? Results have been very, very mixed, and you can say, oh, but it's it's the same. It's football. Blah blah blah. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. The conditions, I think, are often different than what you know, even at a club like Chelsea, than what Frank Lampard was has been used to do when when he's been coaching in his time at, at Everton and Derby and, and Chelsea themselves. If he wants to test himself and wants to do it, it's a tremendous platform because Chelsea are obviously a powerhouse in women's football. And if he goes back into the men's game, he ain't getting a powerhouse for a while. He's got to build himself back up. Yeah. Uh, and obviously he likes the club, doesn't live far away. Sure, why not? I mean, um, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting debate. We had it when Hervé Renard took over the, the French women team in the sense that he had zero experience in women's football before. Didn't, never watched it from his own admission, never really looked into it. But, but, he, but that doesn't his, mean he's not going to do a bad job. No, but he, his daughter, Wendy, being such a huge oh. figure on the... Okay, sorry. I can't make that joke every time. I can't help myself. Um, so I think there is a case to say, like, should you not, especially at a club like Chelsea, where results have to be there, where you need someone with experience in women's game before? I, I don't know. I'm all for giving a chance to anyone. But I think it's no surprise that the big, big job in women's football usually goes to managers who've been in, the, in that side of the game before, which is completely understandable. Yeah, there's different challenges, and it's not just different challenges in terms of men and women. It's also different challenges that the people you deal with when you're managing in the men's game at the level he's yeah. managed at, those are all multimillionaires who are going to have to work for life, right? Yeah. There aren't many multimillionaires who are set up for life, even at the very <laughs> highest level of the women's game. They're one injury away from saying, okay, I'm going to go coaching the rest of my life or whatever, right? Yeah. You're going to have to have a real job. You know, I can't just sit in my basement and podcast as some ex-footballers nope. do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. Samuel Eto'o offered, speaking of ex-footballers, yeah. offered to resign as head of the Cameroon FA. 
Uh, this is after the allegations about him that he was on the phone with uh, guys from the second division, his friend, yeah, yeah, loads of supposedly stuff. arranging things. Um, he's a million allegations against yeah. him. Those are just the football ones. I think yeah. he also has two different daughters in two different countries who've come forward and I don't know, they've taken paternity tests, child support payments, yeah. whatever. And yet, why do people still want to keep him at the... So good he, did he re, or did he really offer to leave, or did he yeah. just? No, no, I think he offered to loyalty. resign. No, 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 I think he offered to and resign. Like, Please stay. But what are we going to do without you? As you know, and and some some listeners may know, may not know, uh, it's very political in African football uh, to be head of uh, the, your country's FA. Uh, a lot is down to who is in power, who the government is, who the sport minister is as well and he clearly has the, their, their backup he's also Samuel Leto and I think the name mm. and the, the, the celebrity and what he achieved in the game plays in his favour which is fine I completely understand the standard despite all the controversy despite also Cameroon not being very good let's be honest since, oh. he, since he took over as the head of the FA despite that I think it's pretty clear Andre Onana doesn't like him very much no, but then I, Andre Onana is probably not very popular caliber yeah, right true. now the World Cup okay they qualified and obviously they had an incredible game against Algeria to qualify and to knock out Algeria to it but then the World Cup in itself was not great this AFCON Sonny hasn't been great I'm not sure if Rigobert Song really is the answer but for now we still have a bit more of Samuel Leto with us so let's see let's see if he can make things better I guess Rigobert Song made history at the World Cup as a place, and I know you love your trivia. Yeah. Do you know what it was? Uh, did it, was it become the oldest to play and coach in a World Cup? He was the youngest player to get sent off in a World Cup game. Oh, sorry, I thought you meant in the last World Cup. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that. Jesse Lingard finally has a new home. Hey, well done. He's doing FC Seoul. FC Seoul, yes, in Korea. Um, this isn't like, you know, Seoul isn't like some cool USL franchise name or something. No. Like, I don't, I, despite what people will say, I'm pretty sure that FC Seoul haven't, he's not going there for the money because I don't think they have, they're going to, they have a lot of money to spend on him. Credit to him. He wants to get back. He's obviously tried out. He's had trials all over the Premier League and, uh, and around Europe. Uh, he had no offers. And he's so that's the only offer he had, right? That's why he took. He didn't it. even have offers from, from. Wouldn't you think that he'd have at least one offer from one of the really bad Saudi, you know, the ones with like no budget, yeah, like no, not even from them. the Romanian fourth division, right? No, he said no offers whatsoever. I mean, none that he would entertain. Yeah, yeah. he goes to a decent league in Korea. I, mean, I know. He, and I said, like, it's not. This is not because you know. I mean, unless his mate owns the club, I don't think so. No. So he's challenging himself. Yeah. Well, good luck to Jesse. That's not bad. Let's see. Let's see how he does that. More fallout from Lionel Messi's non-appearance aye, aye, in Hong aye. Kong, Jules. Yeah. And they're especially angry after uh, they saw that he was back for the game against Vissel Kobe. To the point that the, and it's not my words, it's yeah. the Guardian's words, the government-controlled newspaper, Global Times, yeah. they actually wrote about Lionel Messi. Aye, aye, aye. And they, they pointed out that it was the only one where, where that he didn't appear this season. And they said... And I quote, the situation has magnified these doubts and suspicions on the integrity of Inter-Miami and Messi himself. Politics okay. coming in? Is there going to be a trade war between a Jorge Mas and China? I know, it's a bit strong. I mean, I don't think we will ever see Inter-Miami back in Hong Kong anytime soon anywhere, <laughs> to be fair. Hey, listen, if he's injured, he's injured. Why, well, you know, Messi, if he could have played 10 minutes to make people happy, of course he would have. He, he came on late against, right. in you, Japan you, against Vissel Kobe. Like, come on. You know my thoughts on this. Eh? I, first of all, the casual fan who just wants to show up and say, like, I saw Messi walk up and down for five minutes. Right, you're a sad person that I can't relate to. The government officials, the people in the media who are turning this into a case. Like, you are a, a, a leech and a mooch, and you don't belong in this conversation because this is a sports <laughs> conversation. It's a freaking friendly. Grow up. You yeah, cannot be so no, obsessed with also, somebody. You also pay them to come because you Fine. want to see Messi, hey. of course, and you saw all the people you know what? wearing their you got Messi, to see Messi. shirts. I'm sorry, you, you, you think that Messi wouldn't have been rather rehabbing in his hotel room than sitting on that crappy bench? You don't think David Beckham would have rather been off 
doing something else, whatever yeah, it is he does, sure. looking in the mirror, so rather sure. than being there. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you signed the Messi for the club. You signed the Messi. You signed the contract to have Inter-Miami, right? Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this for Busquets, not for long, because he also got injured. But anyway, Sevilla won away to the Rayo Vallecano on Monday night. But Gab, it wasn't, as jo- it wasn't a joyful experience for Lucas Ocampos. That's an yeah. incredible story. It's incredible to a point. I mean, all right, so obviously... Yeah. The, a, a, I've never a, seen anything like this before. Arayo stayed in there very close to the pitch. The man's taking a, he's taking a, a throw in. Yeah. And somebody goes and essentially pokes him in his behind. Yeah. Right? Yeah, put his finger in his back. But I look, well, the, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, but first of all, it's not like he's being actually fingered because he's wearing, he's wearing presumably no, he's wearing underwear and shorts, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but still, it's not nice. I'm sure it's not nice. But he goes out, he said, and he said, uh, and I quote, I hope La Liga takes it as seriously as they take racism. Okay, which is when you make a joke, being like, ha, 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 so you don't want to take it seriously at all. Yeah. All right, first of all, let's not compare this to racism. Yeah, right? like, 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 just, just Lucas, leave that to one we feel side. for you and your bum, please. Wait, it's tone deaf and stupid, right? To yeah. Say that. But frankly, like, persons in the crowd, there's pictures of them. If you want to consider it assault, no, but you, I mean, you have to. You can't touch a player. You can't touch a player. You're a fan. You cannot touch whatever way it is unless the player come for a hug after scoring a goal. You don't touch a player because if you let that go, then what's next? You slap the back of his head when he does the, the throw. Do you see what I mean? I, slapping the back of the head would probably be more pleasant than what happened to Lucas Ocampos. To it's be a, fair, but uh, it's still not nice, and you don't true, expect true. it as no, a player. No, no, no. I, you fair be enough. You throw in fearing of what's happening behind you. But don't compare stuff like no, this no, to no, racism and stuff like that. They'll find the guy. Whatever I said, I, I saw him. I could just I could provide a description. Yeah, myself. yeah, I can still probably <laughs> remember his face now. Yeah, and I'll be sure to avoid him if I uh, if I go to Vallecas. <laughs> uh, Jules, that brings us to an end. But you got to come back on Monday yes. without me because oh, I am off. I am well off to, deserved holidays. I'm I'm off to Africa. I am not going to the Cup of Nations final. It'll I be wish finished. I were. It will be finished by then. Anyway. I, I, well, yeah, but I I I I I think that might that I don't know. It's a missed opportunity for. Yeah. Me. Anyway, uh, until then. Love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. <laughs>